welcome to the Manager Material Podcast. We're going to chat about all the things that make you manager material. I'm your host, Aaron Jackson. Today's guest is Ryan Moget. He's currently a manager of individual contributors and previously was a manager of managers, all within the tech industry. Today, he leads a team with Walmart Connect, and I cannot wait for you to hear his story. A reminder for all the Manager Material community members, make sure to check out the podcast papers for this episode. Let's dive in. Welcome back to Manager Material. Today we are chatting with Ryan, who I got the pleasure of meeting, um, I think it's over a year ago. In 20, do we meet in 2021, I think? Yeah, I think it was, I think it was early 2021. Yeah. So it's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah. I met you when you were working at TikTok and now you are over at Walmart and I'm really excited to have this conversation with you today and thanks for being here. No, I really appreciate it. Honestly, I I jumped at the opportunity. I think you and I have always shared a lot of great philosophies and had a lot of great conversations. So uh, hopefully this is another one. Yeah, of course. Well, can you just start out and just tell us about you, who you are, what you're doing right now? Yeah, of course. Um, so I'm Ryan Moget. Right now, currently, I am a senior manager of ad policy at Walmart Connect. Uh, prior to this, I worked with some other firms such as uh, TikTok, StubHub, eBay, and some startups out of California. Um, my journey right now is trust and safety adjacent. Uh, I spent the last four years or so in trust and safety, content moderation, things of that nature. And now with ad moderation, we are essentially doing um, the review and approval of online and in-store advertisements. So we get the pleasure of working with uh, some of our account managers and uh, nice uh, nice groups of folks that uh, are kind of trying to run ads on our site. And um, small team right now, uh, completely different from when you and I first met, you know, at uh, at TikTok, I think I had around eight team leads and what ended up being 140 indirect reports of individual contributors. Right now, I just have four individual contributors. They're all very, very, very talented. We're a, we're a small team and we kind of share that startup mentality of let's let's build the plane as we're flying it, as I'm sure we've, we've all heard 90,000 times before. Yeah. <laughs> I always wonder how that would actually look if we were trying to build a plane while, while flying, but as <laughs> yeah, someone who's always been in growth companies, I've heard it my whole career. Yeah. It's a, it's a fun saying. And then, the, but the image in your head is like, it, you're crashed. You crashed the plane. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It literally doesn't fly without all the wings. <laughs> it just fundamentally aerodynamics don't work. Yep. Just, it just doesn't work, but you know, Hey, we suspend a uh, willing suspension of disbelief. We'll be all right. Yeah, exactly. So, you're a manager of individual contributors now. When I met you, you're a manager of managers. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about your management journey. So how sure. did when did you first become a manager? How did that start? What did it look like? Yeah, so when I was really, really young, I think 17, 18, I started working in call center environments and I showed a pretty quick aptitude for most of the systems on there. So I guess my first foray into leadership was called floor support you know we had a large call center and essentially you walked around took escalations provided feedback solved problems um i don't know that that necessarily would be a true indicator of like a leadership role but it was kind of something that started me on that journey and kind of made me fascinated about working with people coaching folks and providing solutions um 
my first actual official titled leadership role was in retail. So um, that was about 13 or 14 years ago now. Um, and it was um, just a shift lead at, uh, at a retail store. And uh, that was my first real foray into trying to figure out how to lead folks and how to interact with folks and where I made mistakes, of course, you know, I think we all mistakes, make mistakes in the beginning and make mistakes along the way. But that was kind of where I started. And that first, okay, so by the way, I love a floor support manager role. I think that most companies when they have bigger sales teams or account management teams can really utilize that floor support management. And yeah. you're dealing with all of the teams, not just one team. So it can be different every single day. Yeah. But in that first, going back to that first 90 days, it's sometimes it's hard to remember, but walk me through if you what you can remember of that first 90 days of being a manager. What was that like? What would you do differently? Yeah. So one of the things that I think contributed to my my initial problems or my initial mistakes was I was an external hire uh, who was going against internal folks who were vying for the same position. And I, I'm very fortunate to have gotten the position, but I think it was met with uh, a bit of antipathy by some. And then some other people just welcomed me with open arms. Hey, great. Love to see you. Happy to have you here. Um, and what I did was I was I was very young. I was very eager to please. And I was somewhat confused by the folks that weren't necessarily as open. And that led me down the path of, uh, you know, as a as a very empathetic and, and as a very logical person, I took it personally, and I shouldn't have. Um, I spent a lot of time, unfortunately, trying to go, why is this person not responding to me? Why is this person not responding positively? Is it something I'm doing? Is it my personality? Is it something I need to change? Um, of course, I care how I'm perceived still to this day, but I think when I started, I began more as a friend and tried to look at myself as a friend to these folks. And while you can be friendly and you can be sociable, at the end of the day, there is still a, a, a dynamic change between a leader and, and an individual contributor. So I think within my first 90 days, I made that mistake and I learned pretty quickly that I should not be focused on why specifically people aren't liking me and more so focusing on people respecting me and people understanding that I'm there to take care of them and care for them as employees. Um, that was a big mistake that kind of set me back, but I learned pretty quickly from it. And uh, fortunately, you know, I was able to kind of turn that around and, and work with some great folks. And uh, I still so keep in touch with some of them to this day. Uh, the, the the store I worked at is about 15 minutes from my house. I'll pop in every once in a while and there are still some folks working there. But, um, you know, you can, again, like you said, you can be a friendly leader. You can be an empathetic leader. You can have good conversations with folks, but spending your time focusing on why someone isn't responding to you just based on the fact that you got a position over them is, it was it was a waste of time. You know, it, it wasn't anything that I did wrong and it wasn't anything that um, I, you know, I, I didn't do anything wrong. I got a job and uh, I, I feel I feel for the folks that didn't. I mean, I've been in that position as well through my career and it, it, it hurts. But 
at the end of the day, you want the right leader in the right position in order to take care of the team and take care of the folks that are that you're serving. So you mentioned being able to turn it around, going from trying to to prioritize being people pleasing at the end of the day, because I know I did the same thing. How what do you remember what you did to try to kind of recover that and set yourself back on the right path? Yeah, I think it was more so about setting boundaries. Um and that's that's important throughout the throughout the entirety of of your career. It's important to set boundaries in a number of ways, which I'm sure we'll I'm sure we'll get into as we talk more about it. Um, but it was more so about setting boundaries and having conversations with folks. Like I remember taking some of the folks aside and sitting them down and going, listen, I I understand you went for the position that I came in for. And I can still see that there's potential in you. I can still see that there's the possibility of leadership in the future. And I want to help you get there. But right now, it just wasn't the time. So what we can do is we can choose to amicably move forward and have a working relationship where I can support you and I can provide you the tools you need for the next time or, you know, for the next position elsewhere or the next position here. But what needs to happen is we need to have a mutual understanding and a mutual respect for one another that I know you're here to work. I know that you're a talented person and I know that we can get you to where you want to go. But right now it was just a minor setback but I'm here now and I don't plan to go anywhere soon. So it was, it was an, it was an interesting combination of kindness and sternness, which at that time, I don't know that I completely found the balance of, but um, it was in the end, something that provided great results just by just by level setting and by setting expectations and setting boundaries like okay listen i'm here to do this job you're here to do this job and i'm more than happy to get you to where you want to go but right now this is the position we're in and i need you to be on my side and it worked it worked for a lot of folks uh there were some folks that were a bit more set in their ways um i don't know that i ever necessarily got their respect but they at least understood the position that I was in and the title that I held so that they performed the duties necessary of them. And I yeah. think that's okay. And you, in an ideal world, when this happens, you know, someone's coming in externally and there were people internally that wanted the position, ideally to set you up for success as the external hire, that conversation would have already happened. Yes. And that would have been so but because it didn't happen, you handled that really well because that's what they want. They want the clarity of, well, why wasn't I ready? And it is a development a development conversation. And developers, one of your strengths and your strengths profile. And so you naturally are wired to do that. It's one of the reasons why we connected early on because we're both developers. Yeah. But you were able to do that. And that doesn't always come naturally to every person in a situation. But it is a good process to say, to provide them that that ramp to yeah. what comes next. I have a client I'm working with right now and she has a team member who didn't get a role and that's their next conversation is here's why you didn't get it. Here's the path to get it. And I think a lot of people just want that. They just want to know because otherwise yeah. they make their own narrative up. Exactly. And that's, and that's, that's dangerous too, because if you don't actually take the time to explain to them like, okay, so at this point in time, this is why here's what we need to work on. Here's where we need to go. If you just say, okay, at this point in time, no, and you give them no clarity, you give them no direction, you give them no feedback, that's a dangerous game because that's when 
people are already low because they didn't get the position you know they they decidedly would or pardon me they would likely care about the position they're going for and want it um it's a dangerous game when you don't provide runway when you don't provide feedback and i think i even went to um you know my aunt uh who is a a c-level at a, a, a company around here and i even went to her and i went am i am i doing something wrong by doing this and she goes you're not doing something wrong you're just learning you're making the mistakes early so that you can continue to go forward and uh i think having those people in my corner those more experienced people as well especially like within my family who are all educators or in tech or insurance like it's a very very group um we were able to kind of help me find find me as a manager. It's it's super important because I was talking about your community as a manager. What like who is around you? Because some people surround themselves with people that are giving them bad advice, or they're sure. not surrounding themselves with anyone. So you naturally found people to get advice from early on. Do you still rely on? the people that were in your corner at the beginning, are they still with you today or do, have you added people to your community to mentor you? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think both. Um, I think coming into uh, leadership at a young age and having folks who had been in leadership in my family or some folks that I've worked with at previous jobs um, guiding me along the way because they too had a developer mindset or at least some, some way and they saw the potential in me and I, um, I have some folks that I, I still talk to from at least the last five jobs. Um, some that were direct managers of me, some that were peers uh, as like a team lead or a supervisor. Um, I think continuing to expand your network is one of the most important things that you can do because, uh, like you said, some folks isolate themselves and they, they surround themselves with, with nothing. And some folks surround themselves with yes men who will, uh, yes men or women who will go ahead and just, everything you say is, that's absolutely brilliant. That's the best idea I've ever heard. And I'll do that. And that both of those are dangerous. If you don't have a feedback loop for yourself, or you don't have any form of development or way to know you're doing something wrong, you're going to continue to do it wrong. It's just you you don't know like you literally don't know did i break that yeah i broke that but nobody told me i broke it so i'm just going to keep breaking things like that's that's dangerous and i i think as i've grown yes i, I i've kept the folks in my corner that truly truly cared about my development and i've added more and more folks as we've continued to go and on that same note i've i've cut people you know i've cut people out that don't necessarily serve uh, serve the greater journey, you know, the, 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 the long haul. Yeah. Well, and as you continue to grow, sometimes you outpace people as Fair well. Enough. And that's, yeah. that's a reality. And when you're, when you're growing, one of the, speaking of, of growing and developing, normally I would ask you what advice would you give, but you've given advice. You've been a manager of managers in, going into that role, that's, that's a different shift. So can you talk about that shift into actually, actually managing managers who are then, you know, you're having to coach more in that role. Yeah. How'd you help them navigate some of these newer learnings as a manager? What was that like? I think 
a lot of the way that I approached developing folks who are new in positions like leadership or uh, now had individual contributors underneath them. I mean, really the, the only thing that moves is the customer, right? If we think about it is if you're an IC, you're on the front lines, you're serving whoever the customer or the consumer is or whoever the frontline person you're helping is. And then as a team lead, your customers become your ICs. And as a manager, your customers become your team leads. Um, as we started, I would just honestly, most of my first one-on-ones were people were open and honest communications about just getting to know who they are, what they believe their strengths were. And obviously, you know, after we used some of the Clifton Strengths uh, assessments we did with you, we were able to kind of focus in on, okay, this is what you're, you're high functioning in. This is what you need an opportunity in. Um, but I also just asked them what questions they have for me, because when you get a new leader, sometimes people will, will walk in and throw all their paperwork on the table and be like, I'm the boss. This is how we're doing it. Let's go. And you just lose so much credibility and you lose so much like buy-in from your team. Um, I think also I, I tried to share my pitfalls as much as I could because it both sets them up for success as well as humanizes you as a leader because no one's perfect. I will always tell them, I, I don't know the answer to everything, but I know how to get the answer and I'll get the answer for you. And I think having that willingness to be open and vulnerable with folks is something that gets great buy-in. And um, there, are, there are a couple things that I always tell people uh, just like, pieces of advice, I guess I would say, like the difference in demanding and directing is huge because bad leaders are, I mean, I'll, I'll call them bosses because I think we've all seen that that meme online of the, of the boss, the back crack and the whip and the leader pulling forward. Like bosses demand, I need this done now. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm still going to do it because that's my job, but leaders direct here's the project we're working on. Here's the definition of what it is. Here's what it serves. And here's its end purpose. If you need assistance, this is who you look for. This is where you go. And this is the task I need you to accomplish. Are there questions you have? Are there questions I can answer for you? Um, are there anything that you're having trouble with? Please come to me and I'll, and I'll do my best to do that. But demand versus direct is such a huge crucial part of, of getting buy-in from people and actually accomplishing things because then those folks will utilize resources that they have. They'll utilize uh, working cross-functionally with other teams. They'll try to figure it out because they know the why, you know, and it, it's always so crucial to do that. And uh, another thing I talk about all the time, I probably talked about it with you when I probably talked about it with every person I've interviewed with over the last 20 years is will versus skill. I always tell people to find the people that have the will and we can teach them the skills. We can always teach you the skills to succeed. It's not a problem. That's our job as managers, but you need to find the people and identify your high performers. You identify the people you can let run with the ball. You know, here's, here's the direction that you need to go in and have at it and then spend more time with the folks that I believe would be again, classified as let's just say low performers, not to, not to denigrate anyone, but you know, low performers. So there's, those are two of the things. I mean, there's a couple more, but 
those are two of the things that I mainly share with them. And again, I think the most important thing is just removing that imposter syndrome. You're here for a reason. You're in this position for a reason. You've shown leadership. People, there's You don't have to be like I have a title of leader to be a leader and you can be a leader without having the title. So working with them to, to be open, to be honest, to have a, a pointed and, and a succinct feedback loop, um, I think really, really serves wonders. Um, because if you're not human, you know, you're not going to have a human response or a human relationship with folks. And I can attest to the fact that there were people in the organization that didn't report to you who would come to you for advice and for guidance because they weren't getting it from their leader. And these were people that were new that had just been promoted into management. And one of the, the big pieces of feedback to me about you was that they felt like you weren't trying to hide anything. You were being super clear with them. And they felt like they didn't have to put on airs that they had it all together because you didn't do that. And yeah. it was a very open conversation. Now, there's a difference between being open and vulnerable and being an oversharing. And I, I believe that you walk that line very well. You still, yeah. you still maintain that professionalism, which when we talk about management, you know, there's that building that relationship, setting boundaries. But part of the management and what makes you manager material is some of those not so fun things like performance management and the HR administrative function of that. So how do you, in your world, how do you balance some of those more administrative, not so fun things with still maintaining that respect with your team, knowing that you've got to do some of those things that they may not like? Yeah, I think, uh, I think it's always hard uh, to, to, to both train folks to do that, like as leaders, as well as to execute it yourself. Uh, nobody likes having conversations or, you know, setting up disciplinary conversations with HR, getting legal approval for things, going through even, even, even something as most serious as, as termination conversations, like those things come and are they pleasant? No, but at the end of the day, a portion of your job is to protect the company and if there's an issue arising that needs to be addressed either performance management or something more serious like a, a harassment or bullying which unfortunately occurs far too often i've always shared with them that listen this is a conversation that we are having because there is an issue i'm not here to come down on you about the issue. I'm here to tell you that we need to correct it in order to move forward. And working together, we can correct these items as long as you have the will. And again, we'll go back to will versus skill every time. If you have the will to do this and understand why I'm having these conversations with you, because you're, you're not coaching your representatives or you're not hitting your metrics or you're acting out or so on and so forth, or you're not just performing it at the standard that I expect of you. Um, I like to let these folks know that I hold myself to the same standard. And if there was something that was happening like this with me, I would be having the same conversation with someone else. It's always a system of checks and balances. There's always a way to I, not rationalize because that's not, you're not rationalizing anything. You're just providing feedback, but there's always a way to let folks know that 
these are difficult conversations. You're going to have to have them. I'm having one with you right now. And if you want to continue on your journey into leadership and management and then so on and so forth, you're going to have to learn to have these as well. And you're going to have to adapt. You're going to have to change to make sure that you're continuing to grow because if you're stagnant, you're, you're, you're not growing. And I've, I've used this quote a lot, but uh, one of my favorite movies of all time is Tommy boy with Chris Farley. And as much as you might not think there's wisdom in a Chris Farley movie earlier in the movie, his father said, you're either growing or you're dying. There's not a third direction. So I often share that with people and people kind of chuckle because they're like, you take wisdom from Tommy boy. I'm like, let's not look at the source and let's look at the context. Right. You know, like, it's a very true statement. You're either you're either growing or you're stagnant. And if you're stagnant in today's industries, in today's world, in today's management, you're you're not really stagnant. You're just taking a step back. So I I hope that answered the question. I know I, I tend to be a bit No, you did you, you definitely did. And um as a developer, I I am love growing. I was talking to my husband earlier today about uh, falconry and owls and the how the, the bird hierarchy in the United States. He did not have any interest in it, but I'm just <laughs> constantly wanting to grow my information. But something you said that's really important is you're saying justification that, that it's the evidence in the conversations. And the reality is as managers, we have to remove the subjectivity as much as possible and get to objectivity and having that list of what happened, both good and bad, because you want to have the justification for promotions and raises. It's not always performance coaching and some of that disciplinary action, but we want to have we want to have that proof of what's going on for because one, we can't remember everything, and two, exactly, it's it's best for everybody if we've got that evidence because yeah. it only can help. Exactly, and that's that's a that's a extremely well put it's not just all documentation for negative it's it's um one of the things um one of the things i see is you know some folks unfortunately just always focusing on the negative always focusing on the negative and that's i, I i've never found that to be effective in any way, shape or form. I mean, we can talk about the negatives. Yes, we can. And, you know, there's always the, they used to, they used to call it, and at least in some of my old managers used to call it sandwich where they're like, look at this horrible thing you did. Look at this nice thing you did. Look at this horrible thing you did. Like peppering in this kind of like, well, let's just say something nice so they don't get totally down. Like, no, like, have different conversations and also recognize when people are performing well, like talk to them about when they're performing well, talk to them about the fact that you respect them. I think, I don't know if you had ever seen, I've, I probably posted it on LinkedIn, but one of my favorite sayings is uh, LRA every day. So it's love, respect, admiration every day. And I used to just post that in chats with like a little inspirational message for like the last five years in Slack. Anytime I've had Slack or any other communication tool, <clears throat> It was just uh, something inspirational on a Friday and like, I respect you. I admire you. I admire the work we do. Let's continue to do it together. And you can build having positive conversations off of that. You know, it doesn't always just have to be the negative. So people can see that you're human. 
you know, unfortunately in some of these roles, you have to have negative conversations, but you get to have positive conversations too. I remember when I get to promote people, I'm, ha I'm happier than they are. I'm going into there like, you're getting a bonus, dude, let's go. And like, you know, everyone's like, why, why are you yelling at me? I'm like, I'm, okay, I'm sorry. I'm excited, you know, but that's the thing. That's what gives me, that's what kind of like gets me up in the morning is, is, is getting people to that next thing. And finally, like finally being able to share, like you got the job. That's I love, I love that. I'll get up and dance around my house afterwards. Like it's. Yeah. I totally understand that. Yeah. But you're right. It, it, it's, it's very important to keep documentation of both the negatives and the positives because it ends up in, you know, promotions. It ends up in raises. It ends up in just better, better all around involvement for everyone. Yeah. When in your, we've talked a, a, about the relationship with people that report into you. Well, let's flip the conversation to the reverse. So your relationship with your manager, what is it from your perspective that has made you more successful in your role as a manager of people with your dynamic with like what, what helps, what has helped you become a better manager? How have they been a good guider to you and what maybe where were some gaps there that Basically, ultimately, what do you need from that person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think I stole a lot of good ideas of like that I have. Um, you know, a lot of there. Of course, there's been some things that I've done on on my own, and I've kind of found my own way as a manager. But I've stole a lot from people who really truly motivated me. Like I think one of the most important things, and I think we talked about this, but it's like timely and pointed feedback. Like I said before, if I don't know I'm breaking something, I'm going to keep breaking it. Like for, in order to have a conversation about, okay, in, in the, at, at least in a, in a, as timely a fashion as possible, I know we're all busy, but if there was an issue that arose that was due to something I did or a, 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 a task I delegated or a, a task that didn't get completed, like come to me, tell me, okay, this is what happened. This is how it happened. How did you approach this? And we have a discussion. Okay, I approached it this way. How would you have approached it? Okay, I would have approached it a little bit differently because of ABC and I can understand, all right, EFG, that's my interpretation of it. And we can come to come to a kind of a, an agreement on how to approach this to prevent it in the future. That's huge for me. Um, it's also huge for me to have someone invested in my learning and development as I am to other people, because I, if I feel stagnant, I will become just not, not fed up with work. That's not the, not the way I would say it, but if I, if I become stagnant and I don't move forward, if I don't see a path forward, there's only a brick wall in front of me. And I think that that's something that's super important. Um, as far as some of the things that uh, I've seen people do that I would uh, not touch with a 10 foot pole, um, there's, there's people who place blame consistently and absorb praise. And what I mean by that is it's, uh, I guess I would say it's, it's consistently, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. Why did you do this? Why did you do this? And you have no, it seems like you have no redeeming qualities, which then contributes to imposter syndrome and mental health issues and so on and so forth. In actuality, you, you need to strike and reverse that. Like you need to give praise. 
because at the end of the day, as a manager of either managers or ICs, you delegated tasks out. You didn't get in the weeds because you can't anymore. As much as I want to be involved in everything, I can't. It's just not possible. But you should be the one doling out the praise for when your team hits a goal or when, you're, when your person hits a milestone or when someone takes the initiative to do something that's amazing. You need to place the praise on them and you need to absorb the blame for some of these things because the buck is going to eventually stop with you. There's probably someone above you. There always is, but the buck is going to stop with you and it's going to be a different conversation or a difficult conversation for you. So you can't just place blame consistently and expect people to to rise up and, and get stuff done. And then when stuff gets done, go, look what I did. Look how great I am. No, you're not. Like you're, you, you might can have, have it done, both ways. <laughs> exactly. You might have you might have uh, you might have done something well along the way that helped you get to that goal, but it's not your job to go look what I did. It's your job to go look what the team did. I am so proud of this team. I am so proud of everything we've accomplished. Let's continue to accomplish things together. And when there's blame to be placed, you need to absorb it, figure out what the problem was, and then uh, problem was, and then accurately disseminate that information to your team. Uh, I think I've I've been privy to too many people who have just been hammer, uh, you know, just been stick and no carrot. Like, uh, it, it's just, it, it's not a way to build loyalty. It's not a way to build relationships. It's not a way to retain employees. It's not a way to, like, prohibit attrition or prohibit people for seeking other jobs. All you're doing is you're pushing them out the door because you're, you're damaging their mental health. You're damaging their their belief that they actually know what they're doing, you know. Because if you get hit with getting yelled at five times in a month, you're gonna go, "Why am I even here?" You know, and 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 then you don't feel appreciated, and and it, and it kind of rolls and rolls and rolls. <laughs> and I think that's one of the things that I talk about the most with with new managers or new leaders. And that's one of the things that I absolutely despise. I I will I'll take it to my grave. I, I think that's the worst form of management you could possibly have is just look look at me, look at me, look at they're called individual contributors, but it's a team. And then there's a team of people that are supporting those individual contributors. And you're the one maybe passing ideas, organizing projects, running project management, working cross-functionally with other teams. You're doing a lot of important work. I'm not taking it away from you, but you can't take away the important work that the other people did either. You can't, you can't have it both ways. That's correct. And one of the things I always say to people that move into a management position is winning is no longer about you. It's no mm -hmm. longer just you. You have to realize that winning is your team winning. Um, and I love the phrase, like a win for you as a leader equals one. But if, when your team wins, that's like 2.5, oh, you know, yeah. like if you were to put metrics behind it, like a win for you as a leader, if I was managing managers, like coaching them, great that you won, but I care more when your team wins because that's your job is to make sure that they're winning and collectively. Mm -hmm. And typically when you're the behavior you're talking about is typically a symptom of someone who is over their skis. They do not feel comfortable in their role. They're maybe lacking sophistication in their management style, but this is why what we're talking about is so important in making yeah. sure managers are equipped because the damage one person's lack of training, lack of sophistication can do is massive. 
you're talking about people's livelihood and you, you talked about something that's really important that I want to dive into is, is the mental health aspect of it. Mm -hmm. When we talk about being manager material, before we even start that conversation, the unlock, the foundation of all of that, that I always say is you, the person. And there's two parts to that. There's the mental health, the emotional health, and the physical health. And when those are off, it's like you're a house that's unsettled. Yeah. And when you have, when you're struggling with mental health and you're also dealing with people, people come with problems. I mean, more people, more problems is such a real phrase. Yeah. Uh, I know it gets said a lot, but managing mental health and managing people who also might be struggling with mental health stuff can be overwhelming. Yeah. Would you be, would you walk through, walk us through kind of your own journey with mental health and how that is translated into management, how you've navigated all of that? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, you and I have had a couple of discussions about this, but I think you know that I'm a big proponent of of removing the stigma around mental health because it's still it's still for some reason I, I I can't I can't really grasp it. You know, after all these years where it's still looked at almost as like a oh just oh just feel better. Was that, is that it? I have never you know what? I'm going to try that. I'm just going to feel better. I'm holy I feel better. Like I don't. Wait, you didn't feel better after someone said that ever? No, yeah, oh, honestly, wow. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I like. I. I. I haven't been doing it right. Uh, <laughs> but um, from from a young age, uh, from a young age, I've had problems with mental health, and it's nothing I'm ashamed of. It's shaped who I am today. It's shaped like how I approach everyone else. It's shaped how I approach the world, and I think that there was a quote that it might might have been misattributed to robin williams but there was a quote that that is often tossed around in the mental health community is like you want to make sure people feel good because you don't want them to know the pain that you're feeling like and a lot of that is very true but you need to kind of find a balance like you need to be open uh, and you know that this some of this falls into oversharing you need to know your audience and you need to know where it is um i don't often share with people that i have mental health issues sometimes i do in order to just make sure that people understand where i'm coming from uh in the workplace but outside of the workplace it's it's let's it's free roam. let's let's have an open let's have an honest conversation about it and i think by having suffered and I'm not a, I'm not trying to make myself as a martyr, but I mean, I think everyone with mental health will agree with me that we've suffered at some point in time. Um, and it's hard for other people to understand because it's all up here and it's not, it's not a science. It's an art. I mean, my therapist might disagree with me, but like it's, I think everyone's brain is different. So when you approach something like this, you have to approach it with individuality. You have to approach it with, with empathy. You have to approach it with kindness and in a lot of these jobs and in in today's day and age you hear grind set the grind set mindset i worked 20 hours yesterday and i slept for four hours like you're an idiot i don't understand what the point of that is you're burning yourself out like there's ways to make yourself productive without necessarily sacrificing your mental health and there's ways that leaders can ensure people are okay just by normal conversation just by general check-ins just by being perceptive like you have to actually form relationships with these people to know when things are wrong and some folks aren't comfortable talking about it and that's fine 
that's totally fine. But if you're struggling, I'm going to tell you to take the rest of the day. I'm not going to tell you to use PTO. You know, there's been so much senseless violence in the United States over the last like two years. And then we've all been locked down in our houses. Like there's, there's a certain level of like, you know, we used to have, and granted, I'm a big proponent of work from home, but we used to have that mental separation of, well, we went to the office and our problems are at the office and then we went home and we were good. But with work from home and the pandemic and all the all the things that we've been seeing over the years, like people are so much more susceptible to even just small triggers of things in the workplace. Like you didn't do this right. You didn't do this, that. And, the, and content moderation, trust and safety content moderation is dark. That's brutal. It's dark. I, I, I have no... I have no other way to describe it, but it's dark. And having to see that consistently is is a drain. It's a drain on your men, on your mental status. And and you need to have a company or you need to have a team or a manager or anything that believes in taking care of their people. And that's again, it's it's about daily daily check-ins it's about you know when something happens is everyone okay does anyone need to talk if you don't want to talk and you want to just take off that's fine you know but knowing what my own struggles are and how i react to certain external stimuli or how i react to people uh, people's conversations both at work or in my personal life it's allowed me to truly try my best to understand why and the how behind it and then execute against that when I know people are suffering. And that's, you know, mental health isn't a weakness. It's, it's, it sucks. I'm not going to say it does. I'm not going to say it doesn't suck, but you know, there's, there's so much, that we have a capability for, you know, we have such a capability for empathy because we, we know what we, we are going through. We have such a capability for understanding, such a capability for artistic expression, like just general conversation, linguistics. There's so many brilliant people that suffer with mental illness who have made such a great difference. And I think we need to just continue to, to remove the stigma from it and continue to support the people that we know could be suffering because like I said, trust and safety, content moderation, even some just regular jobs, call center jobs, getting screamed at over something you didn't do. Like your, your, your dresser showed up without a drawer and you call and scream on somebody for 20 minutes. Like that person on the other end didn't do anything and they're going to get off that phone and they're going to have like a completely different reaction. So, um, I know this was a bit long winded, but, um, no, it's important. Know, I, it's an important conversation. I think very much so as well. Um, but taking the time to understand your people as people, as humans, will go a long way in helping you determine when there's a time to step in. And sometimes that time to step in involves um, employee resource groups, uh, involves um, mental health resources from the, from the, from the company, involves uh, so many things. But sometimes it just involves you. Sometimes it's just how are you? Do you need to talk? Are you okay? And, you know, I've lost a lot of folks in my life to suicide that I wish I would have said something sooner to. And 
I'm not saying that that's the way that all of these cases go, but if you have the ability to check in on the people that you love and to check in on the people that you work with, that you care about, do it and do it frequently, you know, do it as much as you can, because that way we can at least stave off some of the consequences of the work that we do on a day-to-day basis. One of the things that I love Brene Brown and one of the things that she started doing, I can't remember if it was before the pandemic or during, but she's, she has some questions that she asks her team that goes more into that wellness check mm-hmm. type of things um, where you're not breaking confidentiality or towing the line with HIPAA where you're getting into people's medical information, but just having that care about the, the full human. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I always talk to managers about is there's always a cost somewhere And so if you've got a long project where you're working a ton of hours and it just needs to happen at that point, that can happen periodically, but then you've got to say, okay, if that person worked through the weekend or worked a 24 hour shift, then what are we doing to balance that out? Exactly. And I heard from a team this week, someone saying in a, like, I think it was a week time he slept like 10 hours or something really wild like that. And my and the, my thought in my head was, I wonder what his manager did to say, okay, like I see you, I see that we had to do this because this was a network issue that was impacting the entire global company. Thank you for doing that, but now here's X Y Z time off. Yeah. Um, and I don't feel like that happens enough. I don't feel I like managers and leaders are saying and advocating for that balance. I yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. What we what at least I I've tried to do when I'm able. And when I have the authority to is like even um, recently in, in my short tenure here, we've had a lot of holidays. And obviously in in retail media, holidays are huge, um, you know, so we had to work some Saturdays, some Sundays, some, you know, Christmas, New Year's, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Anyone that worked those days got an on-call day off. That's all it was. If you were on call on that day, you just let me know what day that week you want to take off, you take it off. There's a way to balance that without necessarily running into burnout that it's it's not even really a skill that takes too much to acquire. It's just common knowledge. Or, okay, common knowledge isn't common, but you know, it, it's common. <laughs> I can't say common sense either. <laughs> uh, but you know, it, it's it's one of those things where, okay, you put in extra time you're, you're a salaried employee uh, or you're an hourly employee, whatever you put in extra time. Would you like to take that extra time off? Yes. Great. Pick a day. You're done. Like clock out, you know, you worked an extra day, you get an extra day off or you, you put in a 10 hour day. The next day you work six hours, you know, like you cut out early, you show up late. Things can still get done. In a, in, a, in a properly functioning team, one person or a couple people taking extra time off because they worked extra is not going to sink you. You're going to be able to find the time, even if you have to step up as a manager. Sometimes you'd have to step up as a manager and, and do and do casework. That's your job. Like, that's yeah. you sign you, you signed up for it. So taking care of your people is it should be the first thing that everyone learns. You know, it should be the first thing that everyone knows is that the more you put into your people, the more you get out of your people and and the more you drive them against the wall, 
the more they're going to flatten out and then the more you're going to end up with folks taking taking sabbaticals or or you know ended up working with like a, a leave of absence or something like that because it just gets so overwhelming and those are hard to come back from you know you take a leave of absence because you got so stressed out at your job that it it, it was no longer mentally viable for you to be there coming back to that position or that place is not without its own I guess you'd say without without its own problems, you know, because you walk back into the same situation and you don't know if anything's changed. Right. Well, and it goes back to the cost. There's a cost and it's not just somewhere. It's not this ambiguous thing. It's the cost is either on the employees, the mm -hmm. cost is on the customer or the cost is on the bottom line, the profits. Yes. And in all reality, what usually gets touched last is the bottom line. And when you're talking about you, you stepping in as a manager, sometimes it's also to managers pushing back and saying, no, we need in order to accomplish this, this is the resource we need. And it's exactly. sometimes over resourcing, um, not just doing a one-to-one -one resourcing. If you know that your team is operating over holidays and stuff, staffing for peak seasons, now there are going to be those random things that happen. Yeah. But the cost has to be, I, I had someone ask this question that was in healthcare. They couldn't hire anyone. They're understaffed. It was at a, an urgent care clinic, clinic I think. Mm -hmm. And I told her, I said, well, you guys have to stop taking as many patients. You're not an emergency yeah. center. Like you don't, you can turn people away. But what is that? Where does the cost hit at that point? Yeah, Making it's the bottom money. line. Yeah, yeah. And so, but instead who was getting hit? The employees. Yeah. They were burned out. They were unhappy. And so- when it comes to mental health, to it is really hard, at least from my experience, to be struggling with something and hide it from your team. At mm. least when I was a young manager, I was struggling with something going on in my personal life, and I thought I was doing a fantastic job at coming into work, putting the game face on, and separating things out, but it turns out I wasn't at all. I mean, I was doing a good job. They, they didn't know what was going on. I wasn't oversharing, but what I learned is they felt like they got a hot and cold Aaron. They sure. never knew who they were getting walking in the door that day. And they could sense, they could pick up on the fact that I had had, I hadn't slept the night before because of what was going on at home, you know, those types of things. What have you done in your work life where you feel that mental health, like you, you feel things slipping for whatever reason, how do you regain that control where it doesn't impact your team? Like, have you experienced that before ever? Yeah, you know, um, you you wear it on your face, you really do, and you and you 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 people hear it on your tongue, and and people see it in your eyes. Like it's it's so difficult to separate your personal life from from work, but it's so overly expected. I understand. The need to keep these things separate i i do i truly do I, I don't think it's it's wrong but when you get into those positions you have to slow down and realize that you're in that position because the more you charge ahead the more all you're doing is you're adding rocks to your shoulders while you're close to drowning and eventually you're not taking those the time to to rem to remove the the metaphorical boulders from your shoulders you're not taking the time to 
maybe have a conversation with a therapist or maybe have a conversation with, uh, with somebody that is, is close to you that can talk about these, these things like you're eventually going to drown and that helps no one. It doesn't help you. It doesn't help you know, the people that you work with. It doesn't help anything. So taking the time to even just momentarily realize, you know, not, you know, you said that you said a great phrase that I hear a lot, put on a game face, like you put on a game face or, you know, for me, man up, you know, which is the stupidest phrase on the face of the planet, but, you know, put on this game face and just hide it and just put, tuck it away and hold it in your stomach until it turns into a knot. No, don't do that. Like take the time. If you have mental health resources at your job or you have health insurance or you have anything, even if you don't, there's still multitudes of, of support groups that meet weekly, meet daily. But I think the, the important thing to recognize is when you're in trouble and it's not always easy because you always, uh, you always want to be there for your team. You want to show up. You want to be that, that, that superhero. But all you're doing is you're, you're creating this, this hot and cold version of yourself, this, this suffering version of yourself, this, this version of yourself that's not who you really are and not who you really want to be. And you have to realize that sometimes. And it's, it's, I know it's so difficult. I really do. And, and sometimes when you get in these, in these spaces of, of continuous innovation and continuous like push forward, like 24 seven availability is, is beyond me. I don't know how that works, but you know, this, these, these levels of innovation and tech and constantly pushing forward and constantly growing and constantly doing like that, it's easy to get caught up in like, you know, cause it's never ending. It's, it's constantly changing and that's the industry we in and I, we're in. And I think that's fantastic. I, I genuinely enjoy it, but it doesn't come with its own. It doesn't, it, it comes with its own issues. You know, yeah. you, you need, you need to be the one to slow down and go, I'm dealing with something and grieving is a process. You never know how long it takes to grieve. If you lost somebody, like if you're just having a, a hard time personally, you never know how long it's going to take to get over it, but you need to talk to somebody. You need to talk to a friend, you need to talk to a family member, talk to a therapist, talk to anyone and just get it out of your head and try to understand why it got there in the first place. And I think that's, uh, it served me well in the past. It doesn't always work for me. And I think that's just how mental illness shapes our lives. It doesn't always work, but I think the very least we can do is try to recognize when we're suffering and take the time we need to get better rather than just trudging along like nothing's wrong. You know, like we can, we can pretend all day, all, all week, all year. And then, like I said, you, you finally get that one final boulder that pushes you under and you're not coming back up. Oh, I lived it. And I wish, I wish I had known what I know now, which is even though I was trying to hold it together for my team, ultimately I was doing them a disservice, myself a disservice as well, because by me not taking care of myself, I was going down that down that path to going under the water and it just imploded. Yeah. And um, there was a lot of fallout from that. And man, if I had just had some, again, support system and I was HR at the time. 
So talking about, and this is why I get really sad when companies don't have great HR teams or you try to, how do you have a, as my soapbox moment for a second, but how do you have a, a function that's supposed to be there to help people in the depths like this, but also mm -hmm. is there to terminate people? Yeah. It's really impossible to wear both hats. I feel I like the termination arm should be left in like a legal compliance team and then let HR or a modern version of whatever you want to call it, just be there for people learning, learning and development, onboarding, all of that stuff. Yeah. Because uh, you were talking about innovation as we innovate, we also need to innovate on how we support our people. And part of supporting our people is the foundational part of health. And you see all these companies that put gems in and stuff, but where's the mental health aspect of it? Yeah, exactly. Where's the emotional health aspect of it? And I know I've experienced this and I know you've experienced this, that sometimes the cause of a slide of emotional and mental health can be from within the organization. So what have you done when that has started happening? What boundaries have you put in place? What decisions have you made to catch yourself? Because sometimes you don't catch it right away, right? No, God, So no. what have you done? When it when it starts to turn internal, I think is the most difficult one. Right. And I, I mean, just to go back to your point about separating uh, HR into two different organizations, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. I think having to be the person that, Oh, you know, Aaron just fired John, but now she's with Susan trying to help her get through a situation. You, you create this like dichotomy of like, is this person here to help me or no? But um, uh, when things start happening like that internally in an organization, it's kind of a hard boulder to stop rolling. I keep using rock analogies. That's weird. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta <laughs> that's figure our theme that today. <laughs> yeah, I gotta figure. I gotta figure that one out. Like that's got to be something subconscious. But you know, <clears throat> once something starts rolling like that, it's really hard to implement change. Like you can go to human resources. You can go to um, uh, you know, wellness, wellness people, uh, you know, uh, other, other like aspects of the company to, to voice your concerns. Um, and sometimes they're addressed. Sometimes they're kind of like just there to listen and let you vent for a minute and hope it goes away, which is a, just a terrible disservice to the employee. Um, but when things like that start happening, that's when people look for the exit. Um, either temporarily or permanently you know when you start seeing your mental health decline to the point where it's not coming back and i've experienced this numerous times um you know you 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 you, you reach out for help to both your support system and then sometimes it's it's your human resources person at work it's it's your direct manager and how they respond to it is so telling because you can share some of this stuff and just get a almost like a, a a bad therapist uh rhetorical question why do you feel that way how do you feel that way so on and so forth like you know you can sometimes get that response but you can sometimes get responses that are genuinely surprise you like you need to take some time to yourself you need to figure stuff out and that's when you know you have a good organization when people actually care when people don't care and they don't and they just listen and they dismiss i and i'm a, I'm, I'm sure a ton of other people i head for the door you know, I head for the door because when it becomes so overwhelming that you can't get yourself back at the end of the day, 
we are we work because we need to uh we don't live because we need to we live because life is what there is you know like work is a supplement to what you do on your uh in your, in your free time and in, in your friends and your family and like it's a it's a large part of who we are because we spend so much time at work we get to know our coworkers and our friends but at the end of the day like if your life is being so negatively impacted by the job that you're doing leave like if if you're not getting resolutions if you're not getting help unfortunately sometimes it's just time to go and it's it's like a it's like a relationship you know it's it's just i i appreciate everything that's happened here i appreciate everything you guys have done for me but right now it's time for me to go in a different direction and that's a difficult decision to make because you 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 lay these foundations you you build up these folks that you work with for so long and you know it, it's a hard decision to make because you go do i want to leave these good folks behind because of the xyz bad bad things but that's doing yourself a disservice again because now you're putting other people's needs in front of your own and you're going to continue to just just flounder so um i think a lot of what i've done is i've learned to i've learned to just stay regular with with mental health appointments stay uh consistent with you know people i'm seeing and talking to so that anything that comes up i can work through and if it comes down to something from work you know you have to you follow the process you talk to wellness you talk to hr you talk to your benefits team you see what's available to you you see if it helps and those should always be a last resort also by the way you should never get to the point where you have to utilize them like at least that's my belief like you should have a good working environment where you don't have to utilize those benefits i think those benefits are necessary and should be in every company but you shouldn't have to utilize them if you yeah. if you if you're suffering please do but you should be in an environment where you're appreciated supported and cared about and you wouldn't have those problems if you if you were yeah and you're you're speaking from an experience where you're not dismissing that deep suffering you not know at all. you you know what that's like and you're just saying let's do everything we can to prevent it um, because it really, no company, no company in the world deserves you getting to that point of suffering because of their bottom line. It just doesn't make sense ever. Hmm. So you talked about no. a fear um, that a lot of people have, which is leaving people behind feeling responsible for protecting them from what you're experiencing. You've addressed that one. Another fear I've heard is, well, I've been here for X number of years. I mean, some of these people that I work with have been there for over a decade. And some of these companies, yeah. was it worth it? Did, I mean, was that all a waste of time? I also hear, well, I'm, I'm already suffering. I'm already feeling this way. How am I supposed to now go put all this work into finding the, another job? What would you say to those people in, in those particular situations? You have to love yourself more than you love anyone else or anything else. Like nothing is worth your happiness. Nothing is worth losing a part of yourself that you might not never get back. Pardon me, might not ever get back. 
you spent 10 years at that company, I'm very proud of you. I'm very proud of you for spending 10 years at that company, but it's time to, it's time for a change. And yes, looking for a job is stressful. And especially with the fact that we see layoffs every 45 seconds now, um, but it's a different kind of stress. It's not necessarily, I don't know, there's a, there's a way that I've always spoken with, with some of my therapists about like, there's a different kind of stress and there's a different kind of anxiety. There's, there's stress that breaks you down and tears you down and just turns you into a shell of yourself. And there's anxiety and stress. That's good. Like I, I was sharing with you before we started, I just bought a house that was stressful as hell, but it was for a positive thing. You know, at the end, I, I'm still fixing stuff because that's what you, I buy a house and you go, oh, that broke now. And you're like, great. Um, but there's good stress. There's stress that can lead you to positive things. Like looking for a job is going to be hard. Leaving these people behind is going to be hard, but you're leaving them behind in the sense of like just working with them. You don't have to leave them behind as people. You can stay connected to them. We have LinkedIn. We have social media. We have all these things. You can stay connected to them. Do that. I encourage you to do that. Take the people that were good at your last job, keep them. Take the ones that were bad, them. Uh, honest to God, because you can't carry that weight. You continue to carry it like that person was horrible to me. Oh my God, that, oh my, that's going to happen at the next job. And then you pollute your own thought cycle and you continue down this path of like, oh, well, maybe I'm going to get another job. And there's going to be another person like this and I can't find something that's good for me. Don't pollute your own thought cycle with just perpetual negatives. I know it's going to be hard. It's all, it's, it's been hard for me. It's been hard for tons of folks. I'm sure it's been hard for you. We've all been in positions where we need to make decisions that suck, but it's the strength in making those decisions that you need to find within yourself to better your own life, to make yourself more happy, to make yourself more satisfied. Sometimes it comes with a pay. So I don't eat DiGiorno pizzas four times a week anymore. You know, like there's little things we can do here and there to make ourselves happy. At the end of the day, don't stay where you're not welcome. Don't stay where you're not wanted. Don't stay where you're not appreciated. Find that place. It's never too late. You can seek it out. It's it's out there for you. I'm lucky enough to be in a position now that I absolutely love with people I absolutely love. It's taken a while, but uh, nothing worth having comes easy, right? You know? Well, and the last time we talked, you were in a very totally different place. And I said, my, one of the first things I said to you when we got on this call was you look great. And that's not, you know, about that you're beautiful. It's, it's just that you are healthy. You look healthy yep. and um, that wasn't completely the case when we talked last time. Um, yeah. And there was just stress. Like you said, it's in your face. It was just stress was in your face. You were looking down a lot in the conversation. I could just tell you were you were beat down. And one of the things, too, with you were talking about, it, it can be tough, but the people you're leaving behind, what a power of strength you're showing to them by leaving. Um, because some of them may feel like it's not possible. And if you stay, they're like, well, my manager's staying and they see it. So maybe I should stay too. Yeah. But by you leaving, you're saying, no, it's possible and it's okay. Mm -hmm. So you're really modeling really good behavior for them, which is incredible. 
Yeah, and I think that's that's a great point. I didn't. I have never actually thought about it like that. Like, that's a that's an excellent point. You know, you're showing folks that this is it's okay. You know, you don't have to put up with it. You're not. You're not. I mean, no paycheck at the end of the week is worth your 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 mental health or worth your your physical health because as soon I think we both know as soon as your mental health slips, your physical health slips. You you, you lose weight, you get sick, you, you you don't want to do anything. Like you start cutting out friends, you start not wanting to go do anything, and like and now your life just becomes work, and the work is the problem that's preventing you from life. And there we are again on the hamster in, wheel. <laughs> exactly back in the cycle so it's it's um that's an that's an excellent point i've never thought about it like that thank you for putting it that way i ran the hamster wheel for a long time because and part of that was because i was fearful at the time i was stuck in that cycle i hadn't graduated college yet i had two classes left and hadn't finished them and the narrative that i kind of been surround i had been surrounded by was i couldn't get another job unless i had that diploma yeah. which was not true at all. Um, I was able to get a great job without that. And I mean, it was two classes anyway, and people work fantastic jobs without degrees all the time that I'm so thankful that that is that narrative is shifting and will continue yeah. to shift as the boomers move out of the workforce. I have a GED. And look at you go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that's a GED neck tattoos. And like, I'm managing people that are important. Like there's so, I'm so glad that that has kind of faded away over the years, but I'm so I, glad I could, because I, I can't imagine you being like, I can't imagine not having worked with you and the team that loved you so dearly working with you you not being there because of something so silly. Yeah. But that little silly thing is what kept me stuck in my mind in the belief that was not true. And yeah. I think there, there, we tend to believe things often that are not true. Um, and that happens a lot at work, especially if it's being reinforced by a bad manager, Agreed. by a boss. And you mentioned that if you're hearing the negative thing five times in a month, well, why am I here? And it can go even further. Am I good? Am yeah. I worthwhile? Like, especially when your identity is tied up and works so deeply, because then Very it becomes so. not just, am I not a great employee? Am I not a good person. Yeah. And that's, and that's devastating. That's a, that's a hole you don't want to go down because it's really yeah. hard to come back out of that one. Yeah. Um, when I, as an HR person, I have seen, and this is, we're talking about the balance of HR. People don't see the sides when I'm involved in wellness checks or talking to people who have suicidal ideation, getting people into rehab, getting people into mental health facilities those are not disclosed for very important reasons. I mean, very federal so. law prevents it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I know that I've personally sat next to people that are in in the utter depths of uh, addiction and, um, again, suicidal ideation. Just it is not a fun place to be in and um, for them. And I, I've been in a similar situation myself personally and, have so much sympathy for them, but I would love to see organizations really and managers step up to be able to, and I'm not saying managers have this bolt, this burden to shoulder now because yeah. you, you can't, you're not a therapist. 
you're not equipped, you're not a professional, but you do need to, as a manager, know the resources that exist in the organization and where to point people to, like you said, an EAP or to help your team build a good relationship with HR, whoever it is, to be able to connect them with the resources when they need them. I agree. When they show up, because I got past those people I'm talking about, they got past me by managers who cared, who had those conversations and said, time out. We need something more here. I care about you. I see you. And then we were able to, to get them the support that they needed. And that's fantastic. That's absolutely fantastic because those people in those depths, I, I was there. You, you lose, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. There's, there's no anything. There's no, it's just a, it's just a black screen in front of your face. And without somebody stepping in, you know, unfortunately we lose people. We lose people to suicidal, suicidal ideation. We lose people to addiction. We lose people to a whole number of things that affect them personally. And a lot of people are great at hiding it, you know, and when you don't have to, it's liberating. It's so liberating to just go, yeah, I have mental illness. I struggle sometimes, but I'm doing fine now. And, you know, you can too. And yeah, there's going to be bad days, but let's get through it together. You're not alone. And I think that's the most powerful thing. You're not alone. And you have people that like, will will step up and go, this needs to be a bigger conversation. We need to get this person some help. And those, those people are angels. I was thinking the same thing. Same thing. Yeah. It's, um, people want to be seen and heard and validated. And again, I, it doesn't have to be this grand trauma dumping conversation. And that's not what I'm saying. Cause I don't want to have a bunch of managers having these heart to hearts that are, you know, violating HIPAA next yeah, week no, after God, they hear no. our yeah. conversation. Yeah. Let's, let's, but, yeah. Don't ask, don't ask about <laughs> But if something were to come up in your, it's staying connected with your team through regular one-on-ones, through mm-hmm. regular conversations, so that way you know when something's off. Yeah. When you you know when someone is getting overworked, you know when something isn't adding up. Things seem to be, your behavior is changing. You can pick up on those changes a lot faster, and you can ask questions like you were talking about earlier. How are you doing? Is everything okay? And over to, if you have built that respect with them and that trust with them, then they're going to be more likely to be open with you and you can then have that resource conversation. Exactly. But if you're doing that stick thing we were talking about earlier, no one's going to want to be open with you. God, no. Um, and that's, and that's the most important thing. It's like you, I think one of the skills that you should learn as, as a manager is how to read people. And I'm not saying like, like yeah. FBI oh. profiler. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm not looking for you to like answer a question and smirk on the left side of your face. And I go, well, he had strawberries this morning or whatever the hell that means. But like, um, you know, learn how to see when like someone might be down, you know, their eyes, like like you were talking about when we had the last conversation, their eyes are downcast, their their cheeks are sullen, like their, their eyes are, they look tired, they look this, they look that. Like you can tell and when people speak, if they're vibrant and flourishing with their words, if they're talking with their hands, you know, like you can tell that some folks are involved, but if they're just there, yeah, okay, all right, okay. 
well, maybe, maybe it's time for a conversation. Maybe it's time to pause what you're talking about and go, Hey, is everything going? Okay. You know, is, are you feeling all right with the day? And that's, that's literally how I open every one-on-one, every team meeting. I ask everybody, how's everybody doing? Cool. What'd you do with your weekend? Oh, it's awesome. Oh, it's fantastic. Cool. Yeah, it's great. And then that kind of sets the tone. And you can also see based on the responses from that, like as well, like, okay, maybe I need to, maybe I need to delve into this a little bit more. Maybe I need to do this, but reading people and being able to just truly go, oh, okay, something's off here. And that could be, it could be their, their mental health, their, their ability, or they could be not confident in themselves or they're not confident in their jobs or they're not confident in the task that you gave them. Learn how to read people. I know it's difficult in the digital age, but we can still see each other. I'm still looking you in the eye right now. Like we can still tell. So I think from what I understand, our brains can't tell the difference. They haven't, our brains haven't evolved enough to, to know that like what we're seeing on screen is not in real life. We pick up on less cues because I can't see your hands. I can't see your, your body positioning, but it's why we, when we watch TV shows, we feel so deeply when a character we love dies because we've actually formed an attachment as if they're real life for us. Yeah. Um, so while there are some hindrances to being on a screen and I've worked with, worked with people for years, I've never met in person. I've never met you in person and, um, I can still get social cues from you just through your face. Um, for sure. Just with the way our brains operate. That's wild. I didn't know that. I know, I knew there was a reason I cried at the end of toy story (laughs) four. I used to cry at Armageddon. Um, Every single movie. time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you feel like managers need to hear from you today that would impact them, that would be helpful to them and along their journey? You're going to make mistakes. It's going to happen. Like, don't be afraid of mistakes. There are only mistakes if you don't learn from them, because if you learn from them, they're lessons. And understand that you're never going to be the smartest person in the room but you're well on your way and you'll always have that knowledge that you gained by making mistakes and learning those lessons and don't be afraid to not know an answer say it say don't just like it's not fake it till you make it it's not we're not trying to be rock stars like come in Somebody asks you a question you don't know the answer to, you know, that's a great question. Let me go ahead and find the answer for you. I don't know it right now off the top of my head, but I promise you I'll find somebody who does. Don't be afraid to make mistakes and don't be afraid to not have the answer. Eventually you will, and eventually you won't. That's all I got. If you were just to put it in one point, what makes someone manager material? I would say... A strong desire to help others advance and grow. That would be my one point. If you have that, I think you're going to be a great leader. I agree. Develop your people. Invest in them, their growth. That's that's where our leadership legacy lies. Is 100%. right there. Absolutely. No one's going to remember the projects we did, but everyone's going to remember how we treated you. That's the ultimate picture of whether or not you were invested and cared about someone because you invested in their life and their livelihood. Cause it's not just their development, this word that we just, this buzzword we use, it's yeah. investing in their ability to 
support their families, to take their families on trips, to buy a house, all these life goals. I mean, you're not just helping grow their career. You're helping create this sometimes life-changing opportunities for them um, Mm -hmm. by investing in, in them. And that is huge. Yeah. And I think one of the things that you should be most grateful for is that the amount of time you spend with these folks, they will never get back. So you need to make sure that the time you spend with these folks is worthwhile and memorable. And you're able to look back at the year you spent and go, I learned a lot from Ryan, or I learned a lot in that position, or I learned a lot in this. And I'm grateful I was there, you know, because like you said, we're moving people towards life goals. We're moving people towards marriage and children and and houses and, uh, and then retirement, you know, and vacations and homes and, and everything. And it's, and it's such a, it's, I'm not a religious person, but like the word blessing is, is, is very much so true. Like make sure that the time you spend with those people, they look back on fondly, make sure that you, they don't look back and go, I wasted a year of my life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Time is super precious, super, super precious. Speaking of time, I'm really grateful that you have spent time with me discussing this because it is such a cornerstone of, of management and, and just anyone in the workplace and life and knowing to check in with yourself, know where your boundaries are, know when to say yes and when to say no. And that way you always are, and you have that community to lean on outside of work. Yeah to be able to kind of keep you accountable in all facets. It's, I agree. So thanks for sharing um, your story and your journey as a manager. And I hope everyone has enjoyed listening and learning more about Ryan as much as I've enjoyed getting to know him over the last couple of years and how so how much he is loved by everyone that has worked with him. It's truly a testament to who you are as a person and as a manager. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure and I hope Hope everyone learned something, you know. <laughs> they did. I promise. They okay, did. Good. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Stay tuned for resources. We'll go over after this some resources to help your teams, um, some hotlines and stuff to call if you or someone else you know is struggling with mental health issues, suicidal ideation, or addiction. We'll see you next time. If you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal ideation, please dial 988. That's 988. If you or someone you know is struggling with substance abuse, please contact 1-800-662-HELP. That's 4357. 1-800-662-4357. When it comes to resources within the workplace, Often companies have an EAP or an employee assistance program. This is free to the employee and it usually comes with numbers for you to call for support and often includes free mental health therapy sessions. Sometimes that's three sessions, sometimes that's six sessions, but there are often free resources there for you to reach out to. So make sure you know what resources, what benefits you have from your HR team so that way you are able to get what is already free to you.
If you are wanting therapy and you have heard a therapist say, I don't take insurance, don't let that deter you. Check with your insurance carrier, so Blue Cross Blue Shield, United Healthcare, Aetna, and see what their reimbursement rate is because you can go see a therapist, pay out of pocket if you are financially able or put it on a credit card and then submit what's called a super bill to your insurance carrier and they will often reimburse you for a portion of that visit. So for example, when I was with Blue Cross Blue Shield of California, I would submit my $150 bill and they would re- reimburse me $130. With United Healthcare right now, I submit that same bill and I get $110 back. So it is there is some mess involved with that, but if there's a particular therapist that you really want to see, make sure you're checking into that before you write off the therapy option. Like Ryan mentioned, there are so many community support systems out there. I know it can be really scary to put yourself out there, but there are people that are going through the same things and they are there to walk alongside you so you do not have to do this alone. Being alone when you're facing something hard is one of the worst things you can do, but I also know it's what feels the best naturally to us is to isolate, but it's not. We need to be around others to be able to help us through what's going on. So make sure that you are finding your community to help ensure that you are the best you possible physically, mentally, and emotionally because you're freaking amazing and we need you here.